Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for June 12th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And in this week's edition, we will be talking the Stanley Cup Final, which is tied at two games apiece, living up to all expectations that were placed on it heading in. Uh, lots of excitement, close games, um, all one-goal games? I think so, yeah. So I think that's... Um, forget when the last year was. I thought it was in the 70s, maybe even the 60s, the last time it was all one-goal games, uh, first four games of the series, so that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll cover off on the... Arizona Coyotes and Glendale and all that fun stuff. And then, uh, you know, we'll work our way into some other stuff. Uh, but first, a little bit of house cleaning. Uh, I know in the past we've asked for reviews on iTunes, but um, Cameron's put up a little bonus thing at the uh, bottom of our podcast page. You have the option of donating uh, $1, $3, $5 subscriptions per month to us to help support us. This, of course, is obviously very optional, uh, but much appreciated. So just want to make that option aware to listeners that so choose. Um, but obviously it's quite all right if you listen for free as well. Exactly. So. Fine. Is there any... uh, I like the fact that it's been really good hockey to watch. I like the fact that there's been minimal obstruction. I like the fact that when there's a penalty that's been there to be called, as a general rule, it's been called, much to the dismay of all the old school commentators saying it's ticky touch, but the quality of the hockey on the ice shows you why you want to call those, because players are fearful of giving up a power play. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been end-to-end. Um, both goalies have had their moments of brilliance. Both goalies have had their moments of... And the depth of both teams is shining through it. It's it's a... Like you said at the, at the intro, it's been a cup final that we wanted. Yeah. Um, the, the skill on both teams it has lived up to its billing. Um, a little bit unfortunate. I think Tyler Johnson's a little dinged up. He he quite doesn't look the same lately. But well, he doesn't want to... Sh- yeah, I think he's probably dealing with, what, a wrist? Something like that. Well, does a wrist affect your ability to take a face-off? Because yeah, I always thought it could be... Okay, so it could be wrist or shoulder. It's one of the two. Because he doesn't... It's not like he's showing away from contact, but he's also not forechecking with hard contact up against the boards either. So it will be interesting to see what's wrong with him when he wraps it up. Um... You know, watching Victor Hedman has been incredibly fun, and and he's played like this for a while now, but it's just with this kind of spotlight, I think the casual fans even seeing how great he is. His positioning's incredible defensively. His puck skills on the passes that he's been making are clearly evident, and um, it's been fun. Well, he's, uh, his partner in crime certainly helped in that regards as well. Strawman? Yeah. I think that was a recent switch, too. And um, what a great pairing. Well, to, to have the ability to be able to switch your lines uh, on, on the back end and be comfortable pairing Garrison and Coburn together um, really helps. That signing of Coburn, he might have been expensive, but I think he's been really important to that roster. Yeah, it's just nice depth, and they have the ability to do that because they have guys like Kucherov making seven hundred thousand. Um, they got Kalorn making two and a half mil. Tyler Johnson's at three point three three. Palat three point three three. So they're saving throughout the lineup, and then they have a little bit of wiggle room to reinvest. And going out and trading for a guy like Coburn, it's um, that it's doable, and he's not like. You know, the best defenseman out there, but if he's in, you know, your four, five, or six, you know, that, that's pretty good. And they've only got his contract again next year, and then he's a UFA. So when they're going to have to start paying for other players, he's off the books. Because four and a half's a lot for a, technically a, a number four defenseman. So that works out really well. Um, for what they've got, but moving away from the contract stuff, who do you think's going to win two out of three? 
I, I picked Tampa in seven, and I guess, you know, there's really not been anything to totally steer me off of that. I think certainly when you pick a team in seven games, you're a little bit apprehensive uh, of, you know, thinking the other team could easily win, and I still feel that way. Um, I'll stick with Tampa, and I I got to think Steven Stamkos will, will get it going a little bit from the tangible offensive side of things. So your opinion of the gap between goaltender A and goaltender B stands out here because you don't think Vasilevsky's any drop-off from Bishop in a sense. He might be better, but the danger of me saying something like that is small sample sizes are very misleading. Small sample sizes in the Stanley Cup final with everybody watching is just prime for overreactions. Yeah. Um, I, I think Vasilevsky is very good. Um, and I think Bishop's been uh, good too. But I, I honestly do not believe there's a, a sharp drop-off, if one at all. And I think Tampa's just fine in that. That should be a non-issue. Unless, of course, he, he for whatever reason, blows up in the wrong way. But I, I can't see why that would happen. No, no, I, I don't know. There's just one of those things where um, you basically think you can get interchangeable goalies and you use the cheaper goalie so you can fill out the rest of your roster. And it's one of those things where it's a big stage for a change like this to have to occur. But, you know, Vasilevsky's got, you know, high praise and um, a good pedigree behind him in regards to what he's done uh, building in. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. He, he wasn't the reason they lost, lost game four and... and as Tampa, as you would be with Tampa Bay, that's all you want. It's like Chicago with Crawford. The fans don't really trust what Corey Crawford brings, and and they don't want him to be the reason they lose. They'd rather it be the lack of depth on D, or you know, the team not scoring. So um, the next three games will be will be fun to watch. It's it's been good. Yeah, and the goal he gave up to Saad was a, a weird backhand whiff kind of thing. I don't really think that's. It was. Just one of those. Hey, it went in. I, I, I don't find much fault in the goaltender. It's weird on those. If you've ever played the the position, backhand shots are a pain in the butt. Reading it off the blade of the stick as it is, let alone like a half whiff coming against the green like that. So everything just gets magnetized at, at this time of year. Like it's just under the microscope even more. But Chicago. So, um, you know they're going to ride their their top end forwards, and they're going to have to do that to uh, to get by. And Jonathan Taves is certainly playing great, and they can continue to ride his success. Uh, Patrick Kane's going to have to, much like Steven Stamkos, have some tangible offense here. I'm I want to say he still doesn't have a point in the final, if I'm correct. I thought he had one assist. Kane, yeah, well. Yeah, you know, in four games, that's well below his his norm for a four game stretch. So, and that's and that's the thing though. That's that's okay. But if they're going to win, they need him to score. Just like like you said with Tampa, like Stamkos has to have something pop up on the score sheet. You can push possession all you like, but in these small sample sizes, Johnson hurt. Yeah, in these small sample sizes, they just they have to get a return on that that work rate. It's same with Patrick Sharp as well. Like, if either Patrick Kane or Patrick Sharp actually start to get either goals or points on the board, Chicago win. If Stamkos can do it and and Johnson can still produce whilst injured, then probably Tampa win. So it's fascinating in that regards because the depth on both teams have held up their end of the stick. And then you got a guy like Marion Hosa. He's got four points in in the four final games. So my man Hosa's yeah. taking care of business. Your man Hosa. I think he's every man's Hosa. Yeah, he's he's terrific. The, what is this? His fifth final in the last eight five years? In, five and eight, yeah. So it's incredible. It's, just, it, it's everything else that he does that makes him so awesome. And it's nice to see him actually getting some return on the score sheet for it, whether it's assists or goals. It's, it's nice to see that he's getting, like you said, tangible results for the, the work rate that he puts out. And we've been throwing a lot of praise towards some of Tampa's defensemen. And uh, 
Chicago has some uh-huh. that, that definitely deserve. Duncan Keith is a. Um, I know Jonathan Taves is getting a lot of uh, pub for the the big goals he scored, but I, Duncan Keith is their MVP to me. He's playing like a well, half an hour a night. They're playing like yeah. only four to four and a half D because after Roosevelt went out, they, they're just not trusting Runblad teaming in or uh, Van Riemsdyk, I think. It, if Chicago win this, you're not going to change the model or anything when they if they win it, but it's like if they get through this with quite literally only playing their bottom pairing seven to eight minutes a night, it just shows you how important having a high-quality top-four back end is that you can trust and you can go to and you can put out there in any situation. <clears throat> you know who did that? The uh, the 07 Ducks with Pronger, Niedermeyer, and Boschman. They Pronger and Niedermeyer would play 30 minutes each on separate pairings, and Sean O'Donnell and Boschman would fill it out, and then they had Huskins and Depenta playing below 10 minutes a game. It can work. Yeah, it's definitely not a it's, it's not a recipe I, I would recommend, but it just shows you that if you've got that quality of player, then you can certainly get away with it. But Duncan Keith's been tremendous to to fill those minutes and play at the quality he's playing at um, is pretty great. So and produce points as well. Like it's not like he's creating chances and things aren't coming of it. He is getting results from from his his efforts, so it's it's nice to see for Chicago that he's he's getting that, and he's cheap as like this. The other thing, they got him on one of those deals, and it's like that's just brilliant for Chicago. Yeah, there he's not, he's on a cheater deal, for sure. Mm. But it is what it is, and Chicago have done beautifully with that. What 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 do you think of? How have you felt the goaltenders have performed so far? Have they been up to snuff? Has there been any concerns that you would have? No, they've been fine. It's good. It's good to have a finals where they're not the centerpiece of the problems. Yeah, they're all one-goal games. Any one of those games, you could make an argument for the other team winning. And hence, we're at two games apiece. Should be... uh... should be fun. It's 2-2, and it quite literally could have been a sweep. <laughs> Either way. Yeah, because Chicago stole game one. Mm. Yep. Very and late they... with those two goals when Tampa went into and... that brutal shell. That just seemed so uncharacteristic of that team. It was What's been great is they've not done that again whenever they've got in front. They've kept pushing, pushing play, which has been good. No, and it's good that they learn that because sitting back against um, a team like Chicago, obviously, Stanley Cup Final, one of the favorites going into the playoffs, uh, you're going to get run over. And they did in Game 1 after they sat back. And since then, you know, it's been a little bit better on that front when they've had the lead. This, this, What I like about this is that it shows that Young players can get experience and learn on the fly. There's no need to go, I will play the experience over the youth because I trust the experience. You know what I mean? Like that whole argument of experience is important in the playoffs. This Tampa Bay team has proven otherwise. Yeah, and Chicago has guys like Teravainen and Saad, obviously, um, doing things great things that they, they've both had big goals in the series. Tampa has a ton, ton of young forwards and even some despair. They haven't even used Jonathan Druin really. Um, big, big debate on whether that's been the right call or not. Personally, I'd have them in there, but it just goes to show Tampa with the depth they have to have somebody like that in the reserve is a nice thing. And they play and they're playing seven D. As well, like that's the the thing for me. It's not like they're replacing Druin with another forward. They've been happy to play uh, eleven and seven, and you can't argue the results are there. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know how you don't fit Druin in there. I think 
think Tampa's bottom six really isn't all that great, to be honest. Or bottom five when they when they go with the seven D. But thus far, though, it's been holding up its end of the bargain. They haven't been terrible. Like I haven't felt scared for Tampa when they've been on the ice. No, not at all. It's even. But yeah, if you look at the depth of Chicago, when the bottom pairing, either of the bottom pairing of their D are on the ice, I do feel worried for Chicago. But under ten minutes a game, you're dealing with that. And you and you can if you're Chicago, you just go yeah okay it's, it's ten minutes we just have to sort of hold our breath and they try to separate them out so that it's not it's not too bad it's you know three minutes a period so you can you can deal with that. Yeah, I think uh, I think Chicago's managed that okay, all things considered. Oh yeah, um, be interesting to see what kind of directions they go in. Uh, in the off season at the defense position, I think Mike Riley potentially being a big factor in the kind of things they can do if they can get him on the cheap. That's just like the rich getting richer. Um, it is. But they seem to think Van Riemsdyk's going to be okay, just obviously with the broken leg earlier in the year and then coming into this environment. So they've got cheap. They've got cheap options there for them. So and they're going to have to find that with obviously the Taves and Kane contracts coming up. And sad. Oh, yeah, sad. Which, if by the way, in... we haven't had a podcast in a while. Uh, let's just stop with the offer sheet sad stuff. Yeah, someone may throw him an offer sheet, but he's not going anywhere. So think of it from Chicago's standpoint. Would you let that kid walk away, or would you pay him? And mind you, you can go 10% over the cap in the offseason and then figure the rest of it out. How can I keep this guy? Would you? What, what would you consider to be an overpayment for Brandon Saad, though? I mean, you got to get up in that $7 million range, but even then he might live up to it. Well, yeah, it's one of those things. And then you can make the argument that Chicago would have $28 million tied up in three players. Here's the thing, though. When you pay... I mean, I'm just going to use that $7 because it, it just seems yeah. like that is um, probably not where it's going to end up going. But, it, you know, if a team gets super desperate. Um, the nice thing about quality young players like him that do have a, a large enough sample size of success, which I believe he has. What is he, 23? Or maybe even younger? Yeah. I, I think he's certainly no older than 23 i'm gonna look that up very quick here 22 he'll be 23 this october if you're gonna pay big money to players pay for future success not for past success and at 23 years old he's going to have many years of future success so you sign him to a max deal of seven or eight years that brings him to 30 you know what I mean? I can't. I can't see a problem with that theory. It no. It, it, yeah, I agree. So he's a perfect candidate. Of you may think you overpaid, but you didn't really because he's going to be really, really good, and he's young, and you're paying. You're going to get that investment back because of his age, and where you get into trouble is where you you give a guy like, uh, for example, on Tampa, Ryan Callahan, close to six million a year for past success he's he's not going to live up to that no and you if you get there and you use those two numbers if you go wow chicago are getting what they get out of brandon Saad for an extra million against what tampa are getting out of callahan at only a million less and you go it's worth the gap <laughs> that million dollars it will be, be such a, a well-used million dollars for, for Brandon Saad. So it's just one of those things where he deserves to get paid. He should get paid for perceived future output. Um, a, a team could really try and screw with Chicago, like you've made examples of with LA, um, and really try and knuckle them down. Um, but if Brandon Saad goes and actually signs the offer sheet of something you know north of seven and a half, he, wherever he ends up going, if Chicago don't sign him, gee, he puts a lot of pressure on himself to make sure he gets at least a pointy a pointy game. He's at least an eighty point player. I I certainly think he has potential for that. Here's the, here's the thing that I don't think I've heard anybody talk about with him. 
He has to sign your offer sheet. Yeah, exactly. He has to. Why the hell it. would he want to leave Chicago? Well, if they win this cup, that means he's got two. He could go and try and chase the money. You just you just don't know. I mean, you're right. I couldn't. I don't think I'd want to leave if I'm going to get seven years at five mil, or seven years at six mil, or seven years at seven mil. Why on earth would you leave that Chicago town? They've they've shown they can restock a roster and have another crack. Yeah, I just don't. It's not happening. He's staying uh, sharp. Uh, Bickle Crawford. There you go. There's 16 mil off the books. If he, if they really have to do it that way, um, they'll do it that way. So. And like you said, they've got the 10 percent cushion. Yeah, buys them time. Yeah. And who's to say they don't? <laughs> do you really think Stan Bowman's ignorant to the fact that Saad's going to be a target? Oh, God, no. Maybe no. he doesn't even and, think it's a July 1. And all those Pittsburgh fans crying foul that Pittsburgh skipped on him, everybody skipped on Saad twice. Uh, Chicago did three times. There you go. So you get there with it, and it's like, when you find a gem like Saad later in the draft, you, you count your blessings. It's like it's not like Zetterberg and Datsuk were high draft picks. So Seventh round or so. Exactly. So you just you get lucky. Like you've said, when you are at that point in the life cycle of your team, you stockpile picks. So you do get lucky in the later draft, in the later rounds, or in the earlier rounds if you can stockpile early picks. So the percentages of, of that needle in the haystack are higher for you. Um, it just happens to be Chicago, and they're blessed with it. It's good for hockey that Chicago are good anyway. I like watching him play, so I'm I'm content. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to just watch your own team. It's the beautiful thing about about the internet now. You can watch everybody wherever they are. Well, I think that covers off on the final. It does. All right, we're treading into the murky waters of Glendale. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so the Coyotes, the city of Glendale, found a, a loophole. Apparently somebody that was part of the board that helped keep them there or something started to work for the Coyotes, I think, was this loophole. And by... it's, it was written into the contract when it was signed that you can't you can't have an employee go from one side of the negotiation to the other even after the contract had been signed. So why the hell did the Coyotes hire the guy? It just that baffles me. Yeah, but you know what? That's a it's a bad situation. Glendale, as I've said uh, many times online and maybe even in this podcast before. I think so. It, um, it's the wrong area. It's too long of a drive. Geographically, it doesn't make sense for that market. Um, Scottsdale is very strong and Phoenix very strong, but Glendale's in that weird... It's not convenient for anybody to get out there. And it has caused them trouble. And I'm if they go to Phoenix and 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 join back up where the the Phoenix Suns play, I'm okay with the franchise staying there. But they can't stay there in Glendale. That just that has to stop. So, with I agree with everything you've said there in regards to the relocation. Do they? Do the 15 16 season in Glendale? No, I don't think it's going to happen. So, you think they'll end up because the Phoenix Suns are in Scottsdale, aren't they? Are they? Where the where the because you know, I've heard that they're thinking of of playing out of the same arena as as the Suns, but there's such a small window to try and get this sorted out, it's getting very close to the Atlanta Winnipeg move sort of time frame, and, and Winnipeg was set up perfectly for a team to come in. It doesn't really feel like there's a location the NHL would be happy to move to that's ready because those venues that are ready, they want the expansion money. They don't want relocation. 
Yeah, they definitely want the expansion money, that's for sure. Um, and the, the 29 other owners, I think, would be happy to to keep the Coyotes afloat, knowing full well that they'll probably get two new franchises that will bring them in a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you'll see them maybe go to Phoenix next year. You know, so they're going to re- rename themselves again? <sighs> yeah, perhaps. Um, a long shot, the Quebec City Arena will be ready by then. You could have them play there, but be in the West, much like Winnipeg was in the East when they moved from oh, Atlanta. That's, that's not ideal. Terrible. No, it's not ideal, but neither is this situation in Glendale. Um Seattle doesn't have an arena ready. Las Vegas is, um, they're going to want expansion money, like you said, for that Las Vegas team. Kansas City uh, has an arena, but you're not going to put a team there in, when you don't really want to be there long term. Houston, another example of. Um, Houston's actually an interesting market. I wonder if. I was going to say, why wouldn't Houston work? Because it's a really big population. They love their sports. And it would be an interesting one. It's kind of never talked about. Um, that would be a curious one to to think about. But I think the big dogs and the uh, teams or cities that don't have an NHL team right now, I think you're you're looking at Quebec City, Las Vegas, and Seattle yep. is is the front yep. runners for that. And I think Houston should be considered um, right behind that. Yep, well, I could I could understand that 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 would make sense. But I've I think I was in a Twitter conversation. You might have been a you might have been tagged in on that. Someone mentioned Houston, and I hadn't even thought of it. It's like you know what that person made a fair bit of sense. <laughs> Hockey's growing in these markets: um, Texas, Florida. Even Arizona, next year's number one. Uh, well, um, yeah. Number one pick, Austin Matthews, is, is from Scottsdale. And um, there's more and more players. Um, the USA hockey membership is growing in these areas. So the league will be a 32 team league soon. When? 7818? Yeah, maybe. I think that's realistic. And one of them will be Vegas. They have 13,000 season tickets sold, so they don't even have a team yet. No, I know. So it'll be interesting to see where that ends up. Yeah. I think everybody's tired of it, though. I just I just find it for... I understand that business model in regards to expansion i get the funding of it but as a fan it just filters the quality of the teams again they just get filtered out it it gets washed out a little bit more and you get less quality in the games that's that's my complaint yeah i agree anything else on uh Glendale? No, but there's the Penguin stuff in regards to ownership as well. That sort of kicked up a stink in, in Pittsburgh and people seem to be surprised. But those that are fans of Pittsburgh know that Lemieux didn't want to be a lifetime owner. Yeah, and I got to throw out a kudos to, to Mike Colligan, um, a great Penguins writer who had that story months before it truly broke by Bob McKenzie. He, he had a three-part series on the hockey writers um, about the potential of uh, Burkle and Lemieux selling the team, and he laid out and during his three-part series all the reasons why he thought that. And, um, you know, <laughs> that article looks pretty good right now. And, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's going to be particularly worrying for Pittsburgh fans in that regards. I can't see much changing in regards to the direction of the of the club. So 
you know, we'll have to just wait and see, I suppose. <laughs> and as of right now, my understanding is it's really only Mario that's looking to sell his shares, his majority shares, and Burkle, who has probably the most money invested in them, is staying put. So um, Lemieux will keep some sliver of the team. And he'll be able to enjoy his uh, huge $20 million mansion in Mount Tremblant up near Montreal with his kids now all of in adulthood. Oh, growing up. About 18 years old for his youngest, Austin, who just got drafted in the NAHL, I believe, by Wheeling. Um, so the time's right. He, he's maxing out. Um, the cash as he, as he should, yeah. Uh, the only reason he ever got into it was because the the bum owner Baldwin owed him money, and the only way he was ever going to recoup that money was to say, "Screw it, just give me the team, and I'll figure it out from there." And uh, yeah, since then you know, it was only thirty million he was trying to track back as well, so it wasn't like it was chump change. No, not at all, especially back then. Yeah, I know. So he's got a decent return on his investment. Great return. Um, he's still, you know, going to be part of the organization, and uh, good for him. He did, he owes nothing to anybody for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He is has been the Pittsburgh Penguins for for so long. Yeah, yeah. There's no need for anyone wants to ha- wants to be mad at him or whatever. Then that's a problem with you, not with what he's done. So I don't think there'll be seismic, you know. Change in how it's done. Yeah. How the clubs run. It, it is interesting, though. But, um, you know, it depends. Maybe the new owner comes in and finds a new general manager. I think there's a new general manager next year, new owner or not. Yeah. And it should be one of the guys that's already there. Yeah, I'm, um, I like Botterill. The things yeah. that um, things that I hear behind the scenes, the, the the some of the decisions that he's argued against that they've gone forward with, uh, kind of align with a lot of the things that I've written and how I see the game right now. And um, you know, he got overruled on some of these, and I'm not gonna. <laughs> get into details and anger my sources on that stuff but <laughs> I'll just keep that under wraps. Yeah. I know that's frustrating for the listener but um Bodrell's an encouraging candidate if they were to go in a different direction in my opinion, so which is good. Which is good. Yeah, but they can't just sit on him forever. He's going to eventually, you know, go. Yeah. Yep. No, it makes sense. Speaking of of Roster decisions, Malkin. <laughs> oh yeah, my favorite. <laughs> what the hell do you make of, the, of of all of this? The watching it unfold on Twitter and and watching it and watching the reaction from Penguins fans. He's Malkin has become extremely polarizing in regards to how fans think a roster needs to be compiled. Yes, and that's why the backlash, um, some from Pittsburgh media and, and fans included, are touchy on the Malkin subject. Extremely. Um, because you have a certain faction of fans that are, in my opinion, spoiled. You go Lemieux, Yager, Crosby, Malkin, and you just think this is the norm. Oh, we'll get rid of Malkin, we'll trade him, we'll get some pieces, and then... You know, a few years down the road. We'll get someone else, yeah. And that's not going to happen. So um, instead of spending money on crappy depth players, which is an easy fix, you'll trade away a generational player, um, a guy who's won a Conn Smythe, a Stanley Cup, a Hart Trophy, an Art Ross, and a Ted Lindsay Award, which I think he's... Only joined by Mario Lemieux and Bobby Orr in that regard. Um, yeah, trade him. You know, <laughs> what what sense does that make? 
Um, I, I kind of I get where they're coming from with that thought process though, because so far this team has not shown an ability to fill the roster spots around Malcolm or Crosby and fill out the depth of the roster. So it's not on them. No, it's not on. It's not on Malcolm. It's not on Crosby. It's on the management, and it's like so. Change management. This isn't hard. Well, it is not hard. They're, pro- they're proving that it is hard. <laughs> well, when you're not good at what you do, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's I, I can understand why those fans that say trade Malcolm make that argument because the management that has been in Pittsburgh over the last eight years, uh, new and old have proven that they cannot do what you think is simple. So I get why they say trade him off and we'll go a different path than what we are. Yeah, well, I, the, 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 I don't agree with it, but I can I can see why they think that way. They're the same fans that think Max LaPierre had a good postseason. Well, what can you do? And that's when they lose their argument. That's where they lose their argument with me. Well, can, but that's a, that's a philosophical thing of what they think hockey should be, though, as well. What they want to see on the ice, that's what they think is required to win it. And I, I can't see it. I don't understand it. But they obviously have a different idea of what a good hockey team is constructed with. Well, we talked a good half an hour about two of those teams, and I don't see any of these crappy depth players for the most part. No, they're very, there's very few and far between. And that Pittsburgh roster that went through this year, even when healthy, had too many of those crappy players for them to think that they were going to go at least to the conference finals. Oh, yeah, they had Sill and Adams playing on a regular basis. That was tough to watch. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at the the deadline rosters as they were constructed, that Pittsburgh team, if it was fully healthy, was not going to get where uh, me as a fan wanted it to go. Well, yeah, it's a tough one. They were missing four of their top five D, so. Yeah, but if you if you look at that roster healthy, I still think their bottom six depth wasn't strong enough to be able to carry the team when the top six weren't scoring. And that, that's been the thing that's been great watching – Tampa and Chicago. Yeah, but Tampa's the, bottom six isn't. Yeah, but Tampa's top six has carried the load, so they haven't needed the bottom six to do it. That's the thing. Chicago have had a, a big spread of, of their depth, but, and that's got them through because their their top six forwards at times have gone cold, but their bottom six have picked up the slack when they've needed them to. Well, Stamkos been was the ice cold. But yeah, he was. But they have a very solid defense core. And it carried him through, and it allowed it bought time for Stamkos Correct. to get going. Sid and Gino, well, Gino was hurt for starters. Yeah, but they haven't had the the like. If you look at Sid and, and Gino, they haven't had that depth around them to give them time to step up, except for when they won the cup. Like Malcolm had thirty six points in oh, however many games it was, and, and no one since then has got close to scoring thirty six points in a playoff run. You know the last guy to get that many? You might have heard of Probably him. Probably Lemieux. No, you may have. Well, you've heard of Lemieux. The other guy you may have heard of. Who was it? Wayne Gretzky, 93. Dirk was 93 the last time someone scored that many points? Correct. Jesus Christ. It shows you how the game's changed as it's gone through, doesn't it? Yeah, and... Um... Sid's 15 goals when they won the Cup in 09 hasn't been matched yet, although Tyler Johnson, I believe, is sitting at 13. So he has an outside chance of uh, matching that. And, and him healthy, I would almost say he would have beaten it. But now that you, you just know that he's not healthy, it's disappointing that he won't get that chance, you know, at at least 90%. So that's a, that's a, it's disappointing. But... Yeah, as far as the the trade rumors with Malkin, it's, um, you know, we should be used to this. This is almost a yearly ritual. It is the last couple, you're right. And every year it ends up with him playing great and still a penguin. And I think that's going to continue on. In fact, um, I saw something on Twitter today. Uh, His line mate, Patrick Hornquist, or at times his line mate, uh, was asked about the trade rumors, and uh, I believe how he coined it was uh, "they're bullshit." <laughs> is, what, <laughs> is what he said. 
So, um, <laughs> you know, I thought that was a, a funny response and uh, one that I agree with. And that would have sounded really cool in a Swedish accent. I mean, people, and even Elliot Friedman, who who is the initial report on all of this, um, said that Malkin may be upset. And I agree. I, I do think he is. And, and he should be frustrated because, yep. you know, he's one of the best in the sport. He's playing with the best in the sport. And it's like, well, geez, can't we get something going here? Um, I think there's a huge difference, though, between being upset because uh, you got Nick Spalling on your left wing and Blake Como on your right wing and wanting out of town. I think you can, you're allowed to be upset and also not want to be traded. If he's not upset with what's happened over the last couple of years, you'd have to wonder about his competitive. Some people, yeah, some people would call, what, are you not a competitor? <laughs> I mean, the guy can't yeah. win. So, so he's, he should be upset, but he's allowed to be upset and go to management and go, come on, I, I want to stay here and I want to win here. I'm not happy. Let's fix this. I, I can't see there being a problem with, with that. With any star player in any of the other 28 teams at the moment that didn't make it to the cup finals. Like, you want them to be going to management, going, all right, how are you going to solve this? How are we going to be better? I, I have no issues with, with, with that at all. You know, you could make the argument that, the team had the players like Crosby and Malcolm had every right to go to management and go get rid of Fleury. He has cost us the last two cup runs. Instead of getting rid of him, they found a solution by getting him an actual goalie coach and he's been better. So they have, and Crosby has every right as well to get there and go, all right, we need to be better. How are you doing it? And if they get there and they're not happy with how they're fixing it, then say, can I please leave? And that's their right. But for yeah. back to the conversation of people that think trading Malkin is going to get them all these great pieces. Um, yeah, that I have. That no movement clause, which is full, by the way, just neuters your ability to get max return. If Malkin doesn't like your you destination should... and you got a great trade lined up, guess what's happening? Nothing. And, and that's why you want to make sure that you keep him happy and, and smarter investments in more productive players will help that. They should, I think Pittsburgh should go on the cheap for their bottom six and have a bottom six lot of players that, whilst they may not score, suppress the shit out of shooting so that they don't get chances against and just load up their top six and maximise the skill and ability of Malcolm and Crosby with the players around them. So... Basically, go for a two-tiered system. Look for six players that can just flat-out score and look for six players that can shut down the better players of the other team and go with the youth on the back end. That's how I would construct the Penguins roster. There's no point trying to balance out the scoring in the bottom six. Just make sure they don't get scored on. I think you can accomplish that. Every year there's cheap guys that, that – like even Blake Como is a great example of it. He shouldn't be a top six guy, but that was a good $700,000 signing. And if he had been able to stay in the bottom six, thumbs up. But Pittsburgh, obviously with injuries, didn't have Absolutely. that luxury of keeping him down there. But what I mean is like get rid of Sutter. You Like Spalling's only slightly cheaper than Brandon Sutter, right? But he is cheap. They both need to be gone. They're terrible, no, 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 terrible value that. for both. I just want to use him in this example, though. It's like if Spalling could suppress shots against better than Sutter, get rid of Sutter, use the $1.1 million you save between those two contracts in with the salary cap space that you've got to go and get someone that can score. And, yes, you might have to trade away um, drafting, at, uh, like drafting assets and stuff like that, but do it because – you need to maximise the output you can get out of Crosby and Malcolm, and they're not with what they've got at the moment. No, not right now. I, Sutter's a real wild card. Um, I'm incredibly statistically biased on him. I really don't value him as, as a player. Uh, but you're optimistic that he's going to get moved to something of value. That's I say that, but I don't say it super confidently. I mean, I can't get over my view of him and then think that other people could possibly think the total opposite. Well, I, well, I agree, but your argument with that is 
he's he's got a a famous name. He scored twenty one goals as a third. Twenty one goals is a huge thing. I mean, that, and the perception that was great. is, and the perception is that he's good on the PK. Yeah, and he's not. But that, you're right. You're, you're absolutely correct. It's, so there are things there that people can grab onto and go. We need these particular sets of values, and and go. It comes down to whether Rutherford will actually push the trade and. and I would be happy if he overreached and had trades nixed because he asked for too much rather than just getting rid of Sutter and getting rid of the cap hit. So if you look at it in that regards, I think that's extremely interesting over the offseason. And you know what? I was watching Hockey Night in Canada in mid-March, and like David Amber, Brandon Sutter may be a better player than Jordan Stahl in his own right. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, did I just hear that? But like that exists, that exists out there. And I said that was a lazy, I tweeted that was a lazy, a lazy analysis. And he went absolutely, well, he wasn't happy with me. And I got there with it and it's like, it's a hard conversation to have over Twitter, but it's like, what is it that he values that Sutter brings that he thinks that that makes him a better player than Jordan Stahl? And that's what it comes down to. It's player evaluation. What do you think you need out of a particular player playing in a particular spot up and down the lineup? And, People obviously think that having a third-line centre that can't hold puck possession but can score 21 goals is worth 3.3 million as a third-line centre. I don't think that's the Even case. Even though the 21 goals is an outlier and not the norm, and he's one of the worst defensive I would I would prefer him to only to score under 10 goals and have shot suppression ability out the wazoo. That's what I want my third-line centre to do. Chip in very occasionally, chip in one goal every but it doesn't have eight to games, every nine games. You can have both. You can have the, the Artem Anisimovs and the Patrick Berglunds exist. How much is Berglund's contract? Do you know off the top of your head? Three eight-ish. Is it, so this, this is my argument. I want someone cheaper that doesn't have the offensive output. No, I'm, I'm so still paying near four if the guy's actually good. No, but that's the thing. I want to go for a totally different structure as that third-line center. I want him to just be brilliant at suppressing shots, not allowing opportunities against, So and, and have him at, at one, one, one and a half, and then that money you save on the contract you, you, you get back on, on Sutter, you throw that extra that. money. Well, it's not that easy. I'm fine because paying the four mil premium. I don't need to typecast a role. I just need good players. Just find me as many good players as possible. And, well, and it doesn't have to be a, a, a classic shutdown role kind of thing. It, it, if you have good, even strength players, it'll sort itself out over time. Oh, and I, I agree with that argument as well. I just, like I said earlier, I would like to see Pittsburgh go for that change of attitude and really load up on players that have high skill in the top six that can score. Well, here's the nice thing. Pascal Dupuis is going to play next year, and that's huge. Oh, we haven't even mentioned that. Yeah, that's fantastic just for his health sake. Yeah, absolutely. That goes without saying, but since it's a hockey podcast, I guess we focus more oh, on that. No, no, yeah, but, I know. Yeah, absolutely. If he can play, it means that things are fantastic, so that's awesome. Um. I I know a lot of people get mad that he shouldn't be a top six guy and and all that. And ideally, you would you would want him on the third line because that means that you'd have someone four, better in the top four really good wingers in the the top six. But here's the thing: his numbers are amazing. Even if he's being carried by Sid. He's not um, being an anchor. He's not holding Sid back. He's 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 putting up and holding his own in that role. And while that isn't the role that I necessarily want him to be in, he's capable. And now you have a capable player back in the lineup that can go up and down, uh, left wing, right wing, top six, third line, killing. He he is actually a good penalty killer. Uh, the numbers. Yeah, but that's because he's good. That's because he's good at even strength. You're not putting him in the lineup just to kill penalties. Correct. And I think that's a, 
a great thing, and people point to his age, and I, I really don't. Here's the thing about age. I don't care about players' age. And um, if they're producing, and there's nothing to suggest that Pascal Dupuis and his fitness level, that he's going to have a significant drop-off. Now, Chris Kunitz, we started to see some things um, that were a little more concerning last year. But for Dupuis, you're talking a blood clot that, well, Timonen, you know, he's a good example of maybe not coming back from that. But, um, Dupuis, yeah, but he tried to come back mid, mid, like his, where he tried to come back, I just think that was just asking too much. Correct. And to, to get up to game speed there. At least Dupuis got, got a heap of time now to get into hockey shape. He is a fitness freak, though, which is beneficial. He is. He's, it will help. He's not a big guy. So even that the uh, year before when he tore his ACL, it's like not a ton of weight on it. Like a bigger player, like if Chara blew out his knee right now, he'd be in a lot of there'd be he a lot of problems tough. there coming back. Yeah, from it because it would, of just the mass of the player. That the hey, it was hard enough for him to come back from his small knee injury this year. So imagine that if he did blow out his knee, it would be. It would suck as a fan, but it would be really hard for him to get all that up and, and get all that going. Um, it, it, the thing with Kunitz, though, I think people forget is that he, they found out he had an iron deficiency, and I think that really threw him around in regards to getting to spots and, and skating as hard as he normally can. Um, but it doesn't explain him. At the end of the year. It though. doesn't explain his loss of hands, though. Yeah, you beat me to it. I, and that's the concern you were talking about. But usually it's the opposite. Your legs have to go. I mean, look at Mario's later career. He couldn't skate a lick, but the hands are always there. Yeah, well, because that's the argument with St. Louis in New York as well, is that he got to his spot, so he hadn't lost his his foot speed. He was just flubbing on opportunities that he would normally make with his eyes shut. So him as a UFA is going to be really interesting to see what sort of contract he comes up with with New York or if they say no thank you. And if he decides he wants to play again somewhere else. Oh, he'll play if New York doesn't take him back. He's not going to turn down money. I know he said he wanted to retire there, but, you know, if they don't want him. It's the only reason I brought that up was that statement. He'll um, he'll play somewhere. But I guess the other thing from today is... Three guys are probably going to hit the market for Pittsburgh. Paul Martin, Christian Erhoff being two that will hurt them. Max Lapierre being the other, which is addition by subtraction, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> well, it is. But, um, man, Paul Martin, what a great... Can't let the podcast go without um, just complimenting his overall quality of play. Uh, for Pittsburgh the last five years. And yes, he, he ran into some injury things that kept him off the ice, but uh, what an understated, just terrific positional cerebral hockey player. I very much enjoyed uh, you know, covering the team and, and watching him on a nightly basis. Pittsburgh fans are going to work out how important he was by subtraction. They're going to work out that with him not there, no matter how good those young guys are in that back six, he's better than they appreciated. Because he cops a lot of flack for a lot of stuff that he doesn't, and he doesn't get appreciated for the small things that he does. Yeah, and when he first came over, people, oh, he bounced back from his terrible first year. And um, I think that analysis is complete rubbish. And I wrote a little bit about it today. I started going through his past numbers. His first year with Pittsburgh, he had a score-adjusted Fenwick of 55-point-something percent. Oh, that's, it was that's, the price tag. That's rubbish. And, um, it's the price tag. Yeah, it, well, you know what it is. It's He's, like I said, an understated cerebral player. He's not flashy. You look at the $5 million, and you're like, well, geez, I don't notice him a lot. He must be joking. Yeah, but they, ex and guess they what? expect numbers. And what do we call that? We call that the eye test. And it's not saying it's looking in the box score and not saying points, not saying pluses and points. 
You know what I mean? Like he could come off the ice with a 27-minute game, uh, be an even player, and people will go, well, he didn't contribute to anything. And it's just not how it works. So his first two years, his his uh, top partner was uh, Zabenek McCulloch. And his score adjusted Fenwick went from 55 to his second year with the team, 56 and a half, which is incredible. Jeez. That's like really top-end stuff. And then he <sighs> played the next two years with Brooks Orpik and floated around. Which, by the way, it, with Brooks Orpik at 51.5 and, and about 52.3, that's pretty great. But it was lower. And then this year he got back up to that 54 range with Latang. Um, so, you know, Pittsburgh kind of wasted him for two years, saddling him with Orpik, when really they should have kept McCulloch and shipped Orpik off. And that was an eye test thing as well. Yep. Yes, it was. And grit and leadership and intangible. Yeah. All the things. Well, P- Pittsburgh got Pittsburgh got screwed over with Christian Erhoff as well. And, and you just get there and... That was Pittsburgh at the moment. It, it was a good sign. Like Pittsburgh are injury sent. It was. It, it, it was a good signing that just went wrong due to injury, not play on the ice or anything along those lines. Um, but... Pittsburgh can't afford to sign older defensemen now. They have to push to the youth. They, I think they do need uh, to sign uh, a, another defenseman with more NHL experience, but not someone well, over 30. Uh, yes, I'm with you too. I don't need an NHL defenseman with experience. I think they just need another good defenseman. And some of their options just so happen to be guys that have experience. And the guy that I've written about a few times is Cody Franzen, 27 years old. Um, He has all the underlying metrics of a top four defenseman, probably uh, closer to a number three and, you know, in a pinch number two. Um, I think they do need to kind of go that way with that. Um, I think a lot of people overvalue the the prospects. The bonus with Franson, though, is that he's 27. If you have to sign him at five mil for six years, he's 33 by the time that contract runs out. That's doable. That's that's manageable cap-wise. So you could overpay slightly for a a 3-4 in that situation if you're in Pittsburgh's situation. I agree. And I think think every... fan base is is guilty of kind of overvaluing their young prospect guys yeah and while i am totally fine with pittsburgh moving forward kind of pushing up brian dumoulin and scott harrington to see what they have rather than sign a guy like rob scuderi for example I don't want to pass up a guy like Cody Franzen just because I, I want to see Scott Harrington. At some point, you have to kind of have a good handle on, is this guy going to be anything or not? But Cody Franzen's not stopping playing those two. It's Lovejoy and Scuderi that are stopping the youth coming through and playing. That's the thing. A signing of Franzen isn't your problem. It's the signing of Scuderi and Lovejoy. They're the ones that are holding back the opportunity for the youth because you've got Ian Cole that can flip up and down. He's a four uh, or five. In the, he is. And if he if he can be your six, you're set. Because it means the youths come through and they're playing above. That's the thing. Like, Oli Martin wasn't supposed to come in and be a number two defenseman, but he's proved that he can be. If you get there and Brian Doolan comes up and ends up being your number four, and that shifts Cole to your number five and you've got Cody Francis as, as your, your number three, all of a sudden that back six, who cares how old they are, like you said, they're playing to the level that you require in those slots, and that's all you want. Mm-hmm. And, and my hesitation with going into the – I'm fine with this youth movement on ELC stuff, obviously. I've written oh, – You're big on that. <laughs> I am, but at the same time, Latang and Mata have um, a little bit of a sketchy – you know, health stuff going well, on. Injury? 
Um, what happens, you know, you lose, you're assuming they're going to play all the time? Like, then what? Then, then what do you have? So if you don't have a, a, a Martin or an Erhoff or a Franzen or, or some, somebody in that upper mid-tier caliber, eh, I hate the... Hate... You end up like the Penguins did for the last 10 games. Correct. Short. So it's not easy um, balancing no. this. Um, it's not easy at all. But, you know... It's not easy winning the Stanley Cup, so these decisions should be tough. Yes, that's a good point. But you have to save money in the areas that are obvious. And Sutter, Skidari, Spalling, there's three that you can just, you know, not miss. And you save, what, 3.3, 3, 3.3, 8.8 mil right out of the gate? That's pretty good. And you bring, and that, that's the thing, like you might bring in that 8.8 million back, but you get a better level of production out of them. And, and that's the thing. The production that's coming out of that 8.8 million doesn't, isn't justified by that, that price tag. And I'm okay with them exploring a Chris Kunitz trade, but uh, I'm not as down on him as most. If you can explore that kind of trade and it makes sense, I wouldn't look to trade him just for the sake of trading him because I think even on the third line, he, he could be a good player for them. Yes. And yes, obviously you don't want to pay him 3.85 to be a third liner, but you know what? There are worse overpayments in the league. I can live with that one. Uh, the off-season issue, I really hope we see a lot of off-sheets. I'd like to see what happens. No, they don't have a, the ability to do that. No, 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 I don't mean Pittsburgh. I mean for the league in general. I think you'll see it. I think this is the first year that GMs are finally going to, at least some of them, it, Tim Murray in Buffalo, does not give a crap about say, the old guard. Um, if he sees a player guy, he likes, he's going to offer it. And that's how it should and be. Oh, you offered my guy. I can't believe it. I'm going to blackball you. And, you know, F you. <laughs> it's in the rules. Sign your guy before yeah. he hits July 1 if you're so worried about it. Get him locked up. Take him off the market. I think it will be interesting. I think you'll see some cool trades. Um, Rick Nash, name thrown out there. Um, don't Again? Yeah, since the end of the season. Yeah, I just, I don't know. No, it makes sense from a financial standpoint. They have so many RFAs um, right now. They they have a lot going on. Stepan Haglin, uh, JT Miller, Jesper Fast. Oh, I forgot about Miller. Um, yeah. And then the year after, Kevin Hayes, who's playing great, he's going to get a Chris Kreider. Yeah. Chris Kreider is the next year. <laughs> I, what about Azuka? They've, they've locked up Zuccarello. They I? have, and that was good. Um, but you can see where they could be like, boy, we got a lot coming forward here. And Rick Nash is a good player, and he's coming off a good year. Uh, he, I wonder. I wonder if it'll be it'll be interesting to see when Sather steps down and when Gorton takes over the job in New York, whether there's a change of direction in regards to what's what's needed in a team and whether something like that Nash trade would happen. There's shades of the Rangers doing some really smart stuff. And then there's the inconsistencies of watching Strawman leave and signing Girardi and, and Mark Stahl the big money. And and that's the eye test I think Sather runs on. And I reckon Gorton gets overridden with that sort of decision-making. You know, that's, that's, I think that's the difference. I, I don't think you'll see those players like Strawman walk from New York once the new guy takes over. And the, like you said, the Girardi and the Stall signings wouldn't happen. Yeah. It'll be and as a Penguins fan, that sucks because I don't want New York to do any good. It's just Penguins bias. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> um, anything else? 
No, I'm tapped out. The only thing I'll add, I believe June 13th, tomorrow, well, by the time you guys get this podcast, it'll be today, um, is Mike Riley Day. I think he's eligible to sign on June 13th. I may be wrong. Oh, wow. I may be, okay. I may be wrong on that. I, um, I think I just stumbled upon my blog topic for tomorrow. Um, there you are. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but that'll be really interesting. That's uh, I, I don't think he's guaranteed to be a high-end player, but anytime you can get a productive uh, guy on an ELC, I think that's just a great thing. So. We'll see where yeah, he goes. Con- I think Chicago being uh, one of the favorites. Uh, Minnesota, his father apparently has a uh, partial stake in the team. Oh, okay. Uh, so obviously that should be a favorite. Um, Pittsburgh, um, they made a run at him. We'll see. I don't think they'll. Uh, I don't think they'll get him. Uh, Rangers were in there too. They've shown with Kevin Hayes that they're able to lure in the big fish for college free agency so it's always nice to and bought him, have Manhattan and bought, him along, bought him along well as well though like didn't you look at what happened with Justin Schultz in um, Edmonton and it can be a little bit of a trap you've got to be really careful so Kevin Hayes turned out really well New York handled that really really well I agree so that'll do it for for this week hockey hurts podcast um just gonna reiterate what i said before um help us out itunes review is always nice and at hockeyhurts.com if you click on the podcast page there is that donation subscription button at the bottom which would be obviously very much appreciated so obviously that's optional but it is there so if you do contribute thank you very much so I guess um, until the next time, I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh.